0: Welcome to the Ryan and Nate's Business Podcast. Come listen to these two blue-collar business guys, Nate, your go-to automotive repairer, and Ryan, your local heating and air contractor, talk about business, how to help you, and hear stories from our local unsung heroes. Community matters to them, and so does a healthy business. Here's Ryan and Nate.
1: Hey everyone. Thank you for coming to the Ryan and Nate Business Podcast. I know we've missed a couple episodes in the recent future, but we should be more on schedule, right, recent Nate? Recent I think, maybe. Recent, recent. Yeah. Yeah, recent past, I think is how Perfect. we say that. <laughs> uh, today, we have Kevin Fulmer, and he is with UMBC, and I'll let you introduce yourself. Thank you for being on the show.
2: Yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, yep, Kevin Fulmer. I'm the director of the Alex Brown Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation at UMBC, and that's great to be with you guys.
1: Cool. So we wanted to have a podcast with you. You're a big influence in our community. You started the One Million Cups at Okamoka, And it seems like there's a lot of entrepreneurs that trust you. There's a lot of entrepreneurs that just like to hover around you. You do consulting as well. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you about that. And where did you get started? What's your story? Yeah, we have a lot of respect for anyone that's in the business world, but then
0: also is in the educational space. We've all experienced education space where maybe the teacher as good hearted as they are, maybe doesn't have a lot of real world experience that goes with it. So it's like, it's really cool that you come from that space, that business space, and then you're in the education, uh, kind of giving back to education. I think it's really cool.
2: Yeah, it's fun. I'm definitely more of a business person than an educator. So I'm learning to become an educator, which is something that I try to not take for granted, because it's not just about showing up and trying to talk for a couple hours because I, I teach a night, so the classes are two and a half hours. So it's very engaging, it's interactive. I teach uh, an entrepreneur mindset class. So we really talk about the just different mindset principles. But my background kind of been a lifetime entrepreneur. I mean we could start with my paper route when I was like ten years old.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and back
2: in the day you used to have to deliver physical papers. You used to have to go and then collect the money. And so that was a great first experience. I had a hundred and some customers, one of the biggest paper routes in the area.
1: Did you grow up here?
2: No, I'm from West Virginia originally. So I grew up outside Parkersburg, West Virginia, which is right on the High River. So yeah, this little town that was just really cool to grow up in and literally, you know, riding around on the bike delivering papers and having to collect the money. And Christmas tips were awesome because I make a ton of money, but you had to give good customer service. So Mm -hmm. I learned at an early age what it meant to listen to customers because some customers wanted their paper in the mailbox and some wanted it behind the door and, you know, just going Mm -hmm. through that whole thing. And then seeing how it equated to tips at Christmas.
0: Mm -hmm. My question is like, what does it look like for a junior hire to do collections?
2: (laughs) Right. It was hard. It was
0: intimidating a lot of times because people,
2: you knew they were home and they just wouldn't answer the door, right? Mm -hmm. Learning customer service that way at that age is awesome. Yeah, it was great. And so actually, I had that through high school because it was just such great money. And I paid for my first car when I was like, I think 14 or 15, couldn't even drive yet from that. So it was a great experience. But Didn't really understand it as entrepreneurship then, and uh, I was the first in my family to go to college, so went to college, just not really having a clue what I really wanted to do, and ended up switching majors my freshman year into being a pre-med major which I don't know what I was thinking there, but certainly by getting involved in other things, I realized by my senior year, I had no desire to go to medical school. Mm -hmm. And I was exposed more to the business side of things, just through different leadership positions that I had in organizations. And so, I did my senior internship in healthcare administration at a facility at a hospital in the area in Charleston, West Virginia, the capital city. So, Ah, great first boss! Amazing, just really. I mean, that's a whole other story. Even just how I landed that job because I was totally unqualified. But it's where I did my internship. She family waiting tables, <laughs> waited on her one day. She offered me this temp position. It led to again a position that I was totally unqualified for. But she really just believed in me, and so it was a great experience right out of college. Pretty much that led to them starting the first HMO or health maintenance organization in West Virginia. And I was asked to go and become a part of that startup team. And so that was kind of the first exposure to really a a startup. And still, like entrepreneurship was just not a word that I, I heard then. And so even having gotten my MBA, so when I started working at that hospital, they paid for me to get my MBA. And even through that, it's like all about finance and economics and that kind of thing. But the first startup experience was awesome. We grew that company to $100 million in like five years. Mm. Ended up selling to a publicly traded company here in Maryland, crazily. So, the publicly traded company wasn't quite the same feel as the startup. Right. And
1: it's never going to be.
2: No. So, being in meetings with the CFO who's making a gazillion dollars, you know, yelling at us on the phone, he because, needs his money back. Yeah. Because you know? Yeah. We're off by like, you know, 0.01 on some metric. I was like, nah, this isn't yeah. fun. So, fortunately, I had a friend that was working on a startup in Baltimore called 180s, the -the behind-the-head earwormers if you've ever seen those that collapse and fold up. And so they were doing a bunch of stuff on QVC primarily. Mm -hmm. So he asked me at several times over the years to come and help them start this company. And I was always kind of getting the next opportunity at that healthcare organization. It just never made sense. So finally that happened with the publicly traded company and my wife and I had just built our kind of dream home. Mm -hmm. And we had a one-year-old and said, what do you think about moving to Baltimore? And I'm sure she thought what she didn't actually say, but she was supportive and we came here and and that was a great ride. We grew that to number nine on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the country. And then tons of great case studies from that experience, but how to hire the wrong private equity firm or engage with the wrong private equity firm was the big lesson because yeah. we did that and it was just kind of the beginning of the end and it mm-hmm. was just a, a nightmare. So from there, I knew then I'm like, okay, I can't do anything else unless it's kind of startup entrepreneurial. And so I, I bought a company in the imprinted sportswear space and then bought three others and rolled them up and grew that over a period of 10 years and sold it 2017. also started a nonprofit at that point in Baltimore City, still have that's focused on teaching entrepreneurship to inner city, mostly West Baltimore residents in the Sandtown area, which if you're familiar with that community, you know, really lacking in a lot of opportunities. folks so we have a 10-week program where we're teaching entrepreneurial skills we don't talk about entrepreneurship necessarily but we go through Mm -hmm. like the business model canvas and really just trying to help people either start a business or scale their existing business to make a difference so it's been great and did that and then started teaching at umbc and that was 2018. so the first experience being on the campus never been there before but had the opportunity to teach an intro to entrepreneurship class and the entrepreneur mindset class and just loved it, loved uh, the students and how willing they were and the desired to learn and hear about it. And again, kind of what you were saying earlier, just the real-world perspective versus some textbook, I think, makes a huge difference. So that was a great experience. And then I had the opportunity to become the first full-time director of the Alex Brown Center. So I think UMBC was looking for... Somebody that could really kind of take it to the next level and build upon some of the great work that the person my predecessor had done. So I applied, I was fortunate enough to be selected and I've had the freedom to just explore and do things and that's how One Million Cups came to be and we expanded some of the programming that we're doing and we just launched a summer accelerator this summer where we had five startup teams. So it's been awesome. And then just the opportunity to engage in the community and continue to help people. So I guess I was just at the point in my career where I just enjoy helping other people try to understand what it takes to
0: launch yeah. and scale. And so that's where I'm I was at. just going to say, I imagine you get excited when someone comes to you and say, hey, Kevin, I got an idea. Like, yeah. You love jumping on that that beginning point. Yeah, because you know, I talk about a lot in my class, and then I'll throw this out.
2: The number one reason businesses fail is there's no market need. And mm. to me, you know, what does that mean? Well, it means that somebody made something, came up with this product,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and nobody wants it.
0: Yeah, That's, and they're super passionate about
2: it. And they're super passionate about it. And sometimes it's they created something that somebody wants, but they're not willing to pay what they have to pay in order to get it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that go into what does it mean that there's no market need. But at the end of the day, that's what happens, right? I made something, nobody wants it. Well, to me, that's totally avoidable. Mm -hmm. But the model historically has been, like you said, somebody comes, hey, I have this idea. And they go out and they build this product, without really doing any research, without any customer discovery. So one of the big things I talk about is start with the problem, not the solution. But that's Mm -hmm. not what happens. Everybody comes up with this idea, they come up with this product, and then they build it and go out and try to find somebody to buy it. Mm -hmm. And that's just a broken model. The number one reason is that there's no market need. So really focused on that. And sometimes it's not what people want to hear because they already have this product and now i got to find somebody to buy it. And I've spent all this money, time, effort, etc. But it's the right thing. And I feel strongly about that so it is exciting because i really hope that i can avoid people from failing right and not that you're gonna have small failures but at least you're not gonna have a catastrophic failure by saying the whole company failed or i even started a company like don't even start a company until you know that you have a good solution to the problem that is you're trying to solve
1: Hmm. well okay that's a lot to unpack (laughs) Um, (laughs) i'm looking at you because i was like i know ryan's got something to say about this i want to take it back i'm probably take it back from earlier conversation and I'll get into the later because you light up the most when you talk about startups and helping people, but I want to talk about the private equity spot. So private equity is a total nightmare and in my space it's very popular and when a private equity comes into town most of the time I know it because the guys their technicians start to leave, you know and you'll see like three resumes from one company and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I bet you they got bought and the private equity, they come in and they just want to make their money back. Hey guys, our tickets need to be better, this needs to be better, you need to be doing this I need the money that I just spent back and it's tough to get it back and I understand because in my space they're paying millions of dollars for HR companies Mm -hmm. you always have the prick from New York you know in the suit
2: (laughs) or yeah the female version of that which was our case at 180s Yeah. yeah yeah
1: yeah So, if someone wants to sell their company, I mean, what do you recommend? Because if I want to sell my company, I don't want to do private equity. This place will not fall apart if I leave. I'm confident I can leave for a month with a new phone number, and I'll come back, and it'll be the exact same as when I left it. But if there's a new leadership as the head and demanding this, demanding that, it's not going to last that long. You know, because the vibe at Beltway Air Conditioning is just so relaxed. We're different. You know, we're not going to run you into the ground, you know, that kind of thing. Mm but what do you recommend Well
2: I mean first off kudos to you for building a business that allows that I mean I still do some consulting and coaching and so I'm working right now with a guy that's trying to get to where you are and mm-hmm. I mean literally that's his goal I want to be able to go away for one week, two weeks, a month mm-hmm. and have everything just continue right yep. and so Putting the right culture and processes in place like you've done is hard, but it's doable and it's the right thing to do. And so Mm -hmm. it also makes then trying to sell your company that much easier because Mm. anybody, private equity, another company, I mean, they don't want to buy a company where the owner is the glue, right? That like, you know, well, if you're not going to be here, this thing's going to fall apart. And I've seen that time and time again. And so you know, creating that team and those processes where it just runs is the spot on thing to do. But in terms of private equity, I mean, fortunately for a lot of people, that's just never gonna be an option, right? Because Mm -hmm. they don't reach the scale that you have and other companies have that private equity is looking for, right? But any really investor or potential acquirer, it's going to be important to first off, have a plan Mm -hmm. early on. So I encourage even like in this cohort, you know, what is your exit strategy? I know you haven't even sold the first product, mm-hmm. but what do you want to do with this? Is this going to be a legacy company? Are you going to build this and run it for 30 years and give it to your kids, mm-hmm. like have this be sustainable over some long period of time? Or is it a 10-year window, right, or mm-hmm. five-year window that says, I want to scale it quickly, and then get out and find somebody that's you know. So you start working. with those
0: questions before yeah. I think you have launched. to. Yeah, yeah,
2: because it drives all of your decision making, right? Yeah. Because it does. if you really see this as a long term thing that you're going to retire from or work in for 20 years, then you don't need to have. In fact, don't have like hockey stick growth, right? Because with hockey stick growth comes a lot of capital need, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so, if you don't have to bring in additional capital and give up equity in the company, then I mean, that's huge, right? And so, now you can literally have this asset that is a retirement asset if that's your goal, right? If you say, I want to work in this 30 years and retire and have enough money that I can retire at whatever, 50, 60 years old, well, then don't give up equity in your company, right? Yeah. Versus, I think this is good, I've identified a niche, I have a solution for the problem, we have product market fit, we have traction, we're growing, we can continue to grow for the next five years at, like, significant growth, but I need money, right? I'm going to have yep. to take on money to pay for people and pay for technology or whatever, mm-hmm. customer acquisition costs, those kind of things. So, to get money, you're probably going to have to give up equity, right? But, so now you might only own 15% of something, but if you can sell it for $20, 50000000 million, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. certainly gonna fund whatever else you yeah. want to do for the. At that point, you
0: kind of have to make two products, right? The product you're selling, and then your business is a product that you're creating and building so that you can sell it.
1: That's right. That it's gonna be attractive to somebody to buy it. Yeah. Absolutely. That's how a lot of the biggest companies around here have played leapfrog. Is their first company? They built it. They scaled it. They sold it. They have their non-compete clause, and the second that non-compete clause is over, well, now they're doing it all over again. But now they have $5 million in the bank or $10 million in the bank that they can start this new company, and then that just takes off. Yeah. You know, ARS is one of them. There's a lot of different ones that are, like, right here. That's exactly how they did it. Yeah. Do you see a lot of the model? Because I don't know what I want to do. You know, Nate is legacy. You know, his is legacy. His is easy, you know. Pass down. I don't know if it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's Never passed easy. down. You're going to pass it down. You're, yeah, I gotta, you got a it. You got it all figured it out. It's, it's a family, business. It's yeah, a family yeah. business, yeah. I've run well to the place where my dad's about to retire, and so he's doing the legacy thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Me, I don't know. I have a one-and-a-half-year-old, and I have one on the way. Surprise. Congratulations. Yeah. Nate did not know that until this Let's moment. I see the surprise
2: in his face. <laughs>
0: Dude, congrats. I know. It's been a
1: journey, man. That's awesome. But, I mean, if they really love heating and air conditioning, I guess go for it, but I don't see that happening, you know? So, I don't know what I want. Yeah. I really don't, you know, is it private equity, which I really don't want to do that, but i probably do more of an investor type. Is it legacy built? What if they do? But then also, is like, is there a version that I don't have to be super involved and it runs itself? You know, I don't know. And I've always leaned on that third option of let it run itself, and if I'm not needed, you know... That's great, and that's kind of why we have it the way we do. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how often you see the model of there's no private equity involved, but he scaled it, and he's not that involved, but he owns the whole thing.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I think it's becoming more and more common. I think the other thing that's interesting, something I share with my students, I think there's going to be a tremendous opportunity for – Whoever, young people, people that have existing businesses that wanna mm-hmm. scale, for people to buy businesses from all these baby boomers that are retiring yeah. that didn't have an exit strategy forty years ago when they started their company. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to use the word pandemic because of what we've been through, but I'm predicting that in the next, you know, ten years, you are gonna see just a huge amount of companies just closing. Because they have no other strategy. I mean, it's already happening. Mm -hmm. I've seen it.
0: I'm seeing it. I've seen a lot of companies. Yeah, yeah. The automotive space. The average owner is the baby boomer. Yep. Their kids are not taking over. Yep. And the pandemic took them out. It wasn't they didn't have work. Right. It's just like, I think their will to operate, it's like, I'm already near retirement. I'm just closing the doors. Exactly. And I've, in our area, is like four shops like mine that, yeah. that, that has happened.
2: So an opportunity for you, potentially, yes, right, to work something one. out and for something for them, because obviously somebody that's worked in the business for 40 years, I mean, there's value in that asset, right?
0: Yes. But I'm, they have
2: no idea how to even approach somebody else or thinking about mm-hmm. how do I leverage all that I've built here? And so people
0: are just closing up and saying,
2: yeah, I don't have the will. I'm too tired to go in, and deal with this. And, and
0: automotive isn't unique in this, but it is an area where it's very service-based. And despite what some people think that automotive technicians are just out to get you and they're soulless people that want to gouge you. I don't walk in those circles. I don't hang around those people. Most of those guys that are retiring, they literally stay up at night because they're like, I care for all of these people and I don't want to just leave them hanging high and dry. And so they really care about what happens to the clients when they leave.
2: So interesting that you say that, and I even think about, Ryan, what you were talking about. So my Mm -hmm. neighbor recently sold his automotive repair shop that was in Baltimore City. And what he did was sold it to his employees. Mm-hmm. So that's another option that, yeah. you know, you're seeing more and more that could maybe be, you know, something that you consider, especially that you mm. have this great yeah, some team. Yeah, that's actually
1: really interesting. Yeah, yeah.
2: or yeah. even, you know, some give them some equity, right? You're mm-hmm. still around, you're still involved, but you're going to give some employee stock ownership to them where now they have some skin in the game. And so maybe that sustains you for another 20 years and allows you to still you know, do other things but then keeps them around and maybe at the point where you're ready you either sell the rest or then you find an investor and they actually get paid out too so you know there's a lot of options out there but the sad part is that most people don't know about them and don't know how to start you know they're just tired so for students i mean i think it's a great opportunity if somebody has an interest in you know being an entrepreneur but doesn't mm-hmm. have their own idea is to find an industry that you're passionate about and find out who's out there in that space that you could start having conversations with, the owners that maybe you work for them for a year or two. Or if they're at that point, then probably don't need a big down payment, especially if they've seen that you're capable and you're passionate about it and you're a good worker. So
0: a lot of opportunities. It just occurs to me, who does someone call? Like if there's someone listening to this, they're that tired, baby boomer. They've just been working their ass off for decades. Who do they call? Like, what's the first call? Is it a financial advisor? Is it a business coach?
2: Yeah, maybe it's a financial advisor. You know, their accountant. Don't call a private equity, man. No, no, no. no. (laughs) You know, I think, uh, well, I mean, in terms of like, for help to talk through that, yeah, I think there are certainly like the Small Business Development Center, which is part of kind of the SBA. They offer free consulting, and they could probably connect people to the right resources. But really, I would just encourage folks to start with, like, your competitors, which sounds crazy, right, that you go to a competitor and say, hey, I'm thinking of closing up. You know, Is there any interest in taking over my customer base? And just, yeah. you know, if you're willing to just shut the door and not take anything else, I mean, to get some percentage of revenue from your customers, yeah, right. I mean, that's something, right? And yeah, so yeah. if you have no other options,
1: start there. It seems like five, five, six years ago, that was actually a pretty popular option was, here, just give me 10 20% off of whatever you make off my customer list. But since COVID and because the inflation rate was down so low, people were getting paid on their multiples, like 19 on their multiple. So those deals I see dwindling more and more and more. But that is a good option of, hey, what do you want to do with this customer base? And if you ever approach someone, that's the deal you want because it's pretty much Mm -hmm. no risk to you at that point.
0: I have a guy down the road. He's one of the guys, one of the four that closed the shop. He didn't have a plan in place. Without paying for any of the clients, mm-hmm. one of them starts coming to us because the clients talk to each other. And so it just happens anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and so you might as well profit from it. <laughs> you might as well plan right. for it before. I don't know the whole situation, why he had to get out so quickly, but it just happened. So why not do it on purpose? <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: Yeah, in 2021, we had a $600,000 month, and that was really good. But my goal right now is a million dollar month. And I'm in a tough time getting the amount of work I need to have a million dollar month. We have the systems, the people, the processes, everything's in place. It's literally just add another van, add another guy. It's very, very easy. So my problem is, I can't get that phone to ring as much as I want it to. I'm doing everything I can on the branding initiative, you know. What's behind you has been fruitful. I find myself being wildly over creative on how to get more customers. But I see so many people around me, they blow up. And a lot of it is they get private equity involved and private equity can throw millions into marketing. And then that's kind of it. Is there another route to take that you know of?
2: Well, I think typically it's going to cost something, but I would suggest, you know, the ways in which you're doing it, like, you know, for your space. I, I'm asking for
1: fruit business advice <laughs> in this podcast. I, I, well, I get that. This is part of what's <laughs> fruitful about this podcast. This <laughs> we get to
0: glean some knowledge from a guy who's been doing this for a long time. Yeah.
2: I would look at just how can you differentiate. I'm a big believer in differentiation, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's in the service, how you offer the service that you offer the services that you do offer, just the way you go about everything. How can you, because you have a ton of competitors out there. I mean, I don't know your space well, but I know that there are a ton of competitors out there, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do you stand out in a crowded space? And the same thing goes with marketing. So, you know, the ubiquitous mailers that you get with flyer, coupon things, like, I certainly wouldn't do that, right? you know, because that's what everybody else does. And Mm -hmm. any one of those are probably two or three or four, competitors all trying to vie for the same thing. So, I go back to always trying to drive people back. What is the problem that you're trying to solve, even for a service-based business, right? Mm -hmm. And so, who has those problems? And how do I find them? And so when they have the problem, how do they know I'm the one they should call? And so maybe you still have marketing, but it's the message in how you're marketing, right? It's what are you saying and thinking about like what they're going through, like their problem. Mm -hmm. And people make decisions on emotions. And Mm -hmm. so it's not as simple as, well, my air conditioning is broke, right? So it's about my air conditioning is broke. How am I going to make a decision? Because Mm -hmm. think about their perspective, too. There are 100-plus different places, I could call. Mm -hmm. What is it that's driving them to make a decision? And how can you speak to that Mm -hmm. differently than other people are doing? Mm -hmm. And I don't know the exact answer to that for your business, but, I mean, that approach, I think, is what I would encourage you to think about.
1: Yeah, to be liked the most and thought of first. Yeah. That's the tagline.
2: I like that. And so, But what is that trigger on the customer side that Mm -hmm. makes them resonate? with that
1: mm-hmm. yeah and we thought about a branding initiative and even a brand change because it's, it's tough to brand the company named beltway right and we've been doing radio ads for about the last eight months or so and that's been a tough game too because radio is so expensive yeah and it's not a radio offer either you know it's a story going back and forth and the story back and forth and what the marketing agency tries to convey is how do we trust this guy? How do we make him like the most and thought of first? It yep. has nothing to do with price. It has everything to do with get to know the company or get to know the owner. Yeah. And they have a really cool process they go through. But in your experience, every single company has an owner that wants to do right by the customer. Everyone? For the most part. Any successful one. Okay. You know, let's, let's, I agree with let's, that. Let's, Anybody's let's worth get talking into, about. Yeah, I agree let's with that. Let's get into a category here. Outside of, you know, we're not going to compare ourselves to the guy and the Yellowstone. You know, white Peter. Any company worth—they're all taking care of the customer. They're all caring about the client. They're all caring for their employees, right? To you, are those companies this big? And the amount of companies not doing it right, this big. You know, because in my head, I think the amount of companies doing it right, at least in my space, is this big, and the ones doing it wrong are like this big. Hmm. It's hard to stand out.
2: So, would you say that about other types of service-based companies? You know what I mean? So like, let's get out of your space. Mm-hmm. And so would you say that's true of some other industry? I don't know, you know.
1: Yeah, uh, plumbing, uh, plumbing, plumbing, you know, yeah.
2: Roofers, mechanics. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, just from your perspective, would you say that's true? Or would you say that there's a small number that are really doing it the right way and that really care in a way that they're going to also create a culture like you have where the employees care? Because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, doesn't matter the owner cares. Mm. It's who's the person that's at my house mm-hmm. doing the work. Do they care? Right. And do I see that they care? That's what makes that's a it really different. Good point. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. And the other thing I think, when you think about it from the customer's perspective and the problem and how they're making the decision, what is the first thing you do when you have a problem at your house or with your car, or you know, if you don't already have like a go-to place? And typically, I would think for HVAC, like you hope that happens once every whatever fifteen years. So it's yeah. not like you have. You know, yeah, for sure. Unless you're doing annual service or something, but you know that rarely happens. What do you do? What do you do when you have a problem? I'm asking. You yeah, said it. What
0: you do is you start asking friends. Yeah. yeah. So, so reviews matter, like yep. the passive giving over of a recommendation. I say passive meaning like if I look online and I Google car repair or HVAC repair, I don't know the people that left the reviews. But I immediately, like, give some validity to them. So the reviews matter, but even what matters more than that is, I mean, you just mentioned it two minutes before he came. You said someone was on Facebook saying Mm -hmm. they need a car repair, and you were like, hey, they were already talking locally about New Life. And so it's like, great, awesome. We're doing a great job. But, yeah, it's asking for referrals.
2: Yeah. So, if you're doing a good job and Mm -hmm. the customers think you're doing a good job, how can you use the customers that already the Mm 600,000, right, to then get you more customers that are then now validated by someone that I know and trust that used you to then earn their business, right? Right. Not that that's not being done. I mean, you know, customer Mm -hmm. referrals and we'll give you a 100 bucks or something. Mm -hmm. But that has to be different for you because, I mean… Mm -hmm. I just had a new HVAC system – I mean, Mm -hmm. I didn't, but I'm saying hypothetically, I just had an HVAC system installed, and you give me a 100 bucks, like, for what, the next 15 years? He just perked up. He was like, you did? You did? (laughs) Right. No, I actually probably – knock on wood, I didn't even want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while. So, like, what else can you do? And Mm. again, what would matter to that person? Maybe it's a $50 Amazon card, right, for a good referral that you're going to make probably great margin on, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, that seems like a no-brainer. I mean, it seems like a high customer acquisition cost. But, I mean, like, c- compare that to the number of customers that you're really getting based on what you're spending on radio advertising, right? right. If you're doing that calculation, I mean, what is it? It's probably pretty high. I mean, you yeah. might be gaining customers, but you're paying a lot per customer. Yep. So, for a $50 Amazon card, that's going to resonate way more, and it's very trackable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're only giving it away if you get a customer. Yeah. Versus right. the radio, it's like a crapshoot.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it could be a hundred bucks. You could get a hundred bucks. Yeah, it could though. be a thousand. It wouldn't matter, right? <laughs> would still, you right? Would, and can you, you imagine? you be making yeah. more money than what you spent on some of the. I mean, look at it. A, a thousand. Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going out and finding people. <laughs> like, I'm going to be your salesperson. You know.
1: I thought about a door knocking team too. That would be really fun. When yeah. I saw flash over your face, I just wanted to say because I saw flash over your
0: face, like the concept of like, oh no, my home, my HVAC. You started calculating in your head how old it is. It might need to be done. No one is excited about spending money on their HVAC. No one is excited about spending money on the brakes on their car. Right. Which is different than I get excited when I buy my new Apple phone, right? Or yeah. the new AirPods come out, I get really excited. Yeah. I'm happy to fork over the money because I like the product. I'm excited about the product. No one's excited about these services, but what they are excited about, it's like, I always say to my clients when they leave the office, it's like I hope I don't see you soon, but I do love seeing you. You know, <laughs> that's good because it's like I know they're coming to me when they have a problem. Yeah. Maybe it's maintenance; they were expecting it, but a lot of times it's when they had a problem. Yeah, and so it's like I'm hoping you don't have more problems, but the excitement comes from the relationship. Yeah, and I think that's what's really important with service-based.
2: hundred percent. I mean, it's even different for you guys, though, right? Because again, you're going to maybe do something for somebody once every ten or fifteen years, mm-hmm, yeah. Or unless you have some kind of maintenance agreement, mm-hmm. but you, I mean, every you know five thousand, like five thousand miles. Yeah. You want them yeah. coming back, right? And yep. so similar type approach, or it could be, but I think it's just different in terms of customer acquisition strategies, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. What space do you like the most? You got to see a wide range. When we went to One Million Cups, they were talking about the blockchain and NFT and crypto. So what space do you like seeing the most? That's a great question. I don't know. I like a lot of
2: different things that are really cutting edge and new. Mm-hmm. And so, like the – I don't know if it was the, the Zeti company that you heard present they was mm-hmm. trying to use blockchain for yep. actually, you know, customer loyalty programs, right? So, mm-hmm. taking the paper punch card for, you know, the number of coffees that you purchased and digitizing that. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly – the big companies, Starbucks and Panera, they all have those programs. But for somebody like an or some other type of company, they can't afford that. And so somebody using, like, the latest technology to really affect uh, positive – you know, influence in other companies. I mean, I get excited about that. As you could probably imagine, I'm pretty easily excitable. So I don't know that there's (laughs) one space that I really get excited about. I get more nervous sometimes about people that just have ideas that they haven't fully vetted and fully understood, because it becomes pretty clear sometimes where it's just like, I don't know if that's really an opportunity, right? So another thing I talk about is like, not every idea is an opportunity. There are a lot of great ideas Mm. and even maybe real solutions to problems, but it's not an opportunity to scale and start a company around, right? And so that again goes back to that's why a lot of companies fail. There's no market Mm. need. Great idea. Solves a problem even potentially, but there's no real opportunity to get the market just too small or it's too
0: expensive, and it's just not really an opportunity. Do you find that the product space and the service space are, I guess my first question is, is there one that's more exciting than the other to work with? And then the other question that just popped to my mind was, are those lines blurring now? It used to be real clear what, what product and what a service was, but now it's almost like with the digital space, it almost kind of blurs a little bit. Yeah, is, I agree. Is one more exciting than the other, I guess I'll start um, with.
2: I mean, I guess because of my background, I've been more product focused, but I would say I agree with you in that the lines are blurring. I think people that have service-based businesses need to think about their service as a product because it is. I mean, at the end of the day, it really is. I mean, does do you have to do some different things with calculating like cogs and things like that? Yeah. yeah and you have to be a little more creative sometimes on the service side. but. Yeah, if somebody's buying that service, I mean, you, you need to think about it like
0: it's a yeah. product, treat it like that. Yeah, and I imagine the other way around. Well, or certainly on the other side. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's yeah. a service when you've come up with some of these products because it's like you're creating a relationship. Yeah, and be, because
2: yeah. we talked about this a lot in the summer cohort. I mean, when somebody comes up with an idea, there are no new ideas, right? There's mm-hmm. variations on existing ideas. And so back to the differentiation. How are you going to take this and deliver it in a way that there is value and that somebody says, whatever my current solution to this problem is, this one's a better one? Mm -hmm. Because anything you can think of, there's an existing solution to. And so you have to be disruptive in a way that says, okay, I'm going to stop buying this and buy this Mm -hmm. because this is better for whatever reason, you know, that they understand the value proposition.
1: Got it. do you recommend people going in business for themselves
2: oh 100 percent
1: really yeah I tell them don't do it <laughs> <laughs> well don't I mean I guess
2: that's my first answer but you know then it's quickly followed up by you know what are you looking to get out of it why do you want to do it is right. it just because you don't want to work for somebody else and I mean that's a legitimate reason but it can't be the only reason right right so you don't want to be held accountable because look you know you're mm-hmm. gonna work harder than you ever have in your life if you're going to go into business for yourself right? right and you guys know that so it's not about an easier road. It's really about, do you have the right mindset and are you doing it for the right reasons? Mm-hmm. So Is that
1: what you teach in your mindset class, is really trying to get them underway with what the mindset's going to be?
2: Yeah, for sure. And the thing that's, I think, good about the class and what we talk about broadly at the center is that entrepreneurship is for everyone. Well, what does that mean? Well, the entrepreneurial mindset, those skills, really, that you can learn, that you can develop that you can strengthen are necessary regardless of what you're going to do, whether you're going to do your own startup, whether you're going to work for another company. And so the idea of, you know, being resilient and not fearing failure and getting comfortable being uncomfortable and having a critical thinking mindset and a growth mindset and what all those things mean, how to be a good leader and use empathy and those kind of things and how to communicate, you know, all of the things that are Mm -hmm. kind of encompassed in the entrepreneurial mindset are important regardless of what you do. And there's proof. So, there are tons of surveys out there by employers that say – Our employees don't have are lacking in these skills. They call them soft skills, right? And Mm -hmm. so they align perfectly with the entrepreneurial mindset skills. So hence, that's great that you want to be an engineer or a computer scientist, but you're competing with all the other engineers and computer scientists out there. What's going to differentiate you as an employee? Well, to the extent that you're stronger in these entrepreneurial mindset areas, you're going to stand out tremendously because they're lacking. In a big way.
1: Yeah. Nate and I do a lot of Myers-Briggs trainings and especially like we'll go into like companies and do it to their sales teams and that's really fun. Yeah, yeah. But I think with the Myers-Briggs test in relation to the entrepreneurial mindset is I think looking at those eight different character traits and I don't know if you'd call them soft skills or not, but... Knowing how to float in between them, I think, is very, very important as an entrepreneur. For example, judger versus perceiver. Judger is how I handle limited resources. Well, they're both how do we handle limited resources. And the growth mindset is a P, which is what I am. And then the guy who sources nuts away is a J, which is what... Nate
0: is. That's why we work well together. Well, we do. But we had
1: to learn that because yeah. I was like, I want to spend money. And he said, I don't. Right? Yeah. But even before this podcast, you're like, it's let's get that- a new camera. And I yeah. said, we're not spending any more money. It's not
0: that I don't want you to spend money. It's that the good idea needs to, like the steps to get there. Sometimes there's the cost and the J brings out like, Figures oh, these are the out. steps. Yeah.
1: But I think as an entrepreneur, we need to be wildly aware of what our personality is on the Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. Be aware of why people act the way they do on other people's. And then, okay, if I'm really strong at this, this means I'm not strong at that. So I either need to have empathy towards that or on some of them, you need to pick up those characteristic traits. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or hire them. Yeah.
2: I think that's a tremendous point, and it's something else that we talk about in the mindset class. In fact, I have the first book that – every student reads is a book called Start with Why, or it's QBQ is the question behind the question and you know, starting with why questions. And it took me a long time in my career to realize that people don't think like you do. And so yep. what you think, we talked about it before, is just common sense and seems abundantly apparent. It just drives you nuts. And so what instinctively you do is why is that person like that? Why doesn't that person see things mm-hmm. like I see it? Yep. Well, it's because they're different in their either personality or experience or whatever it is. And so the premise of the book is instead of asking why questions, you ask what questions. Mm-hmm. So you can't change anybody else. So you might get frustrated that they don't think like you do and that they don't see this like you do. But asking you know, why is not the solution. It's what can I do about it? right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't change that person, right? But you can change you. And so, I need to see it differently. I need to understand that they're this type of personality or be reminded that this is the way that they process things. Yeah. Or I need to educate them better, right? And take accountability. And so, it's a great book. It's literally highly recommended. It's like 30-minute read, the whole book. And uh, literally, every student reads it, and I get great
0: feedback that this is like life-changing.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just the perspective of, you know, asking because you just do it. Why questions? I'm going to add that
0: one to my list. But what you guys both said was like that a business owner, entrepreneur has to have. What both describing is a very mature mindset. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times that small business that has the single proprietor owner, for good or for bad, that business is this very real reflection of their strengths and their weaknesses. Sure. And if you – don't have a growth mindset that says, that I'm going to start incorporating some of the other side of my personality that I don't naturally have, or I'm going to hire the right people and respect them and not say, why don't you think the way I do, but learn from them and actually have a team mindset, those companies are the ones that are a pleasure to work for. Mm. They're the ones that are a pleasure to interact with Mm -hmm. because they have a mature enough leader that says, I don't know it all and is on a road himself on a journey to become the best him or her, the best that he can be. But, yeah, for good or for bad, we've come across a couple of businesses where the owner's really, you know, it's like the business's weaknesses are a reflection of his own weaknesses, and mm-hmm. he doesn't see it yeah. blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: hey, that box, I don't see, you don't see.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: And then that was really good. And I did think of business as a reflection of its ownership. And going into why versus what, I've never watched my office. Only in the last three months have I figured out, anything this office does. I've always had just incredible office people and it switched hands a couple of times and it's getting ready to switch hands again. But I was like, I have no idea. It's been five years and I have zero idea how it's, like it's any scary. of this happens. For me as a J,
0: I'm like, it's scary, but you do it well.
1: Yeah, I have no idea how any of this happens. It's uh, like,
0: what's the password to get into this bank account? I don't know. Ask somebody else.
1: <laughs> I check my bank account three times a year to make sure there's no fraudulent activity, no employees are stealing. That's it. Yeah. It drives him crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just trust my team out there to do it. Yeah, and and that has to do with the personality test of being an N. You know, I'm big picture and I don't care about what the small details are in the mm-hmm. picture. I just want to see the big one. Mm-hmm. But I think as time goes on, I need to reverse into the S category where it's small picture, bring out to the big picture so that I can better lead my team, be more effective in those types of things. When do you tell a kid that he's not? Hey, you're not cut out for the entrepreneurial thing. Because here's what I see all the time. I'm going to start my own business. I'd rather work 80 hours a week for myself than 40 for someone else. And I'm like, you're full crap. You're not ready for this at all. You ever tell a kid, this isn't for you, bud? Uh, It might be against Carter Costrell, against your job, I think it must
2: be because I don't think I've had that conversation where you're not cut out to be an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean that I haven't seen it. Yeah. And maybe I just haven't had the guts to crush dreams in that way. I've certainly said – I don't think this is an opportunity that can scale or that this is an idea that can scale to an opportunity. You either need to do a major pivot or learn from this, right? Mm -hmm. And apply everything you've learned to something else that's interesting and another idea you have. But I don't know that I've said that about you can't
1: be an entrepreneur. Why should someone be an entrepreneur? We talked about legacy. Yeah. Money, I guess, would be another category. Is there another category? Well, I
2: think the flexibility and freedom, right? And Mm -hmm. just the chance to explore a passion. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? And I've seen that and people do something just because they think they can make a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. And they're not really passionate about it. Like that's not a good reason because that's a short-term thing, right? And so we even question, is that really being entrepreneurial that you're just taking advantage of a market opportunity, right? And making some quick money. I mean, it is, I guess, in... To the extent that you know you are seeing a problem solution fit right but to continue to do that i guess it is you know entrepreneurial i go back and forth but i think the why you do it is that you're passionate about something and you want to make it happen like that's my mantra is make it happen like so there's a great kind of line that says you know anyone can be an entrepreneur but not everybody should be mm-hmm. right so everybody can be a father Mm-hmm. But not everybody should be, right? Mm-hmm. Simon Sinek yeah. said that. I mean, I think it's a great line, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, well, you understand fully what it means to be an entrepreneur in terms of, and when we talk about entrepreneur, you can be an entrepreneur. We call them entrepreneurs. You can think entrepreneurial and be an entrepreneur inside a company. Mm-hmm. And that's Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, for the people that are really risk adverse, that just cringe and just fall apart in failure, I do say this, you know, if you are somebody that has to go in and everything, your day has to be all buttoned up and that if there's the first bit of any kind of controversy or thing that goes wrong and you just fold up, you probably shouldn't be an entrepreneur because that day doesn't exist (laughs) where your day is going to go like you think it's going to go. That's Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... For those people, maybe you're better off taking that passion for thinking like an entrepreneur and applying it in a company. And it's got to be the right company that appreciates that and gives employees the freedom to think that way and to add value that way. And not every company does that, but yeah. to do it on your own. Or maybe then find a partner that can, you know, talk you off the ledge and can kind of take that piece of it, right? And that's right. the other
0: thing that's important. That's really good.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it's not an easy road whatsoever. No. You know, it's really not. And um, especially, I mean, I think any business is tough, but I think to me, what I've seen from other businesses versus trade businesses, I think the trades are just really tough to have a business in nowadays. And maybe that's how the whole country is trending, but it's just... 10, 15 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot of private equity this, private equity that, this, that, or the third, right? Like you had one or two big companies and then the rest were, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's just changed a lot.
2: Well, and just uh, as we were talking about earlier, I mean, just finding good employees that are willing to work and show up for work and do the work and be on board with what it is you're trying to do as a company and the way that you want to do it as a company, it's never been harder. Yeah, Then today,
1: we have one friend. He started his business and he was like, I just want to be by myself. It is just me. I'm just going to do me. And now he's six months in and he's like, oh, just doing this by myself is really tough. I need help. Right. And it's like, hey, buddy, that's not going to stop. And then you're going to need all this help and you're going to turn around. You're going to get slow you're going to have like four people that you really care about that you need to keep busy. So then you're going to pour money into marketing and then you're going to get bigger and it's just going to keep going and going <laughs> and going. And you're like, I just want to be by myself, a guy in a yeah. truck too. Yeah. Boom. The classic E-Myth yep. uh, scenario. Yeah, there you go.
0: That's right. Great reference. Yep. yep. And if you're doing any kind of work that's worth doing you got to view that growth as your steward, especially in the service industry. You're a steward of the people that are coming to you. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost on you to grow. You have to hire that first person, that second person, because you care, and he's going to. Mm-hmm. He's definitely going to, and he's really good at what it's he does. It's just fun to see going it's from, fun. you know.
1: And it originates from my question of, like, do you ever tell someone not to be an entrepreneur? It's like our buddy, we're, like, we're trying to tell him he needs to be more of an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. because he's got it, and he's got it, what it takes and everything. It's just like— yeah. Just jump off the ledge. And he'll be, yeah, yeah.
0: he'll be such a blessing to the people that he hires, too, because he's yeah. such, such a yeah. good man of character. All right,
1: Kev. Yep, I was going to say,
0: I think that's a good spot to end this thing. I appreciate talking about entrepreneurship just in general. I think that's really cool. I think it's really cool what you do for the community, and I know it's bigger than just like our 21227 community being at the college but there's a lot of people that need encouragement i think you're an encouraging guy i can imagine being that young student coming to you with an idea and even if you have to tell me like i don't think this is a great idea for the market like i just feel like you just got this presence about you that someone would leave encouraged either way so i think you're doing some good work i get excited with you getting excited about business so it's really cool if somebody like wanted some advice, or just maybe wanted to learn about how they take one of your classes, or something like that, and they wanted to stay connected with you, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, sure. I'm happy for them
2: to email me, Kevin, my first name F, as in the first letter of my last name Fulmer, Kevin F at umbc Okay. I'm usually at Okamoko on the first and third Wednesday of the month at nine a.m. when we have one million cups. So I would encourage and love to see people come out and support that. It's free and no registration required. And if you're interested in presenting, we focus on earlier stage companies, less than five years. Go to 1millioncups.com and there's a button that says apply to present and pick the Baltimore community and somebody will follow up with you. So,
0: Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for being here today.
2: All right. Thanks, guys. It was great. <laughs>